How many of you know what 80s TV show this phrase is from? I love it when a plan comes together. A-team, yeah. The A-team, that's what Hannibal, the, the leader of the four guys, would often say. I feel that way this morning as, as I look at our passage. You may have heard the passage and had a couple thoughts. Paralytic and tax collector, what in the world do those two stories have to do with each other? And, my goodness, when you put them together, that's kind of long. <laughs> but i got to tell you, even though we weren't originally going to put these two together, they got put together uh, because of COVID sickness and changes in the preaching schedule. As I studied them together, I, I came to realize that they actually have a lot in common. And I believe God has a plan this morning for these two to be together. Both these stories remind us why Jesus came. Christmas, we remember the, the baby in the manger, but why? Matthew 1, 20. You remember Joseph wrestling with whether he should marry Mary or not when he found out she was pregnant. What, what do I do with this? He, as, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Both these stories show us that Jesus came to save us from our sins. The, the last verse in our stories this morning, 2.17, our memory verse, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The cradle would lead to a cross where the Lamb of God would die for the sins of the world. He said it later on in his ministry, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Mark 10.45, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He came to save us from our sins. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. Maybe if you are a believer, you need to rest in that reality more this morning and be encouraged by it. Maybe if you haven't come to Jesus, you need to receive this invitation to the Savior this morning who came to wash away your sins. Erwin Lutzer wrote a, a book called Putting Your Past Behind You, and, and he talked about forgiveness as he did, he, he wrote a, a story about Robert the Bruce, the leader of Scotland in the 14th century, as, as he was battling with England for the independence of, of Scotland. And at one point in the battle, somehow the English got a hold of Robert the Bruce's own hounds, his own bloodhounds, and they were using his own hounds to track him through the woods and capture him. And as they're running through the woods, Robert the Bruce and the, the guy who's with him are talking, and the guy with him says, this is not going to end well. And Robert the Bruce says, it's going to be okay. You know why? There's a stream right up here. And they, they could hear the hounds howling. They got to the stream, and Robert the Bruce and his, his guy jumped in the stream, swam a ways upstream, and got out the other side. And when those hounds got to the edge of the stream, they just stopped. And even though the English said, get them, get them, get them, they just stopped. Why? They had lost the trail in the stream. Erwin Lutzer said this. He said, the memory of our sins prodded on by Satan can be like those baying dogs. 
but a stream flows red with the blood of God's own Son. By grace through faith, we are safe. No sin hound can touch us. The trail is broken by the precious blood of Christ. I read that and I couldn't help but think about that old song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes us white as snow. The forgiveness of Jesus comes through the cross, which is why he came. I also look at these two stories. You might be thinking, paralytic and tax collector. What in the world, besides showing us Jesus' forgiveness, what do these two guys have in common? Well, actually, a lot. As I, as I thought about it, they were both paralyzed in one way or another. Both of them, will come to find out, were paralyzed, stuck where they were spiritually. The first man was also paralyzed physically. There were obstacles to wholeness in their lives for both of these men. Okay? To the point where many would look at each of them and say, this one's hopeless. Hopeless to come to wholeness. There's also another similarity. In both stories, we'll see that Jesus was preaching or teaching to crowds. But in the midst of the crowd, Jesus hones in on an individual. Which reminds us that Jesus does, doesn't just care about us as a group. He cares about you as an individual. Both of these guys in their stories rose to live a new life with new possibilities through faith in the word of Jesus that he spoke to them. And it had a ripple effect in both situations to the people around them. It encouraged some, but it also led to conflict with the religious authorities. So what I realized was these two stories actually have a lot more in common than maybe we sometimes have seen. And it made me appreciate God's inspiration as he led Mark to put them back to back in his book. Let's start with the, the paralytic. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. As when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. You remember, we talked about how he was going to go on a preaching tour throughout Galilee. So he did that for a while. We don't know how long, but he, he comes back, maybe to Peter's house. We're not positive which house it is, but it's Capernaum. Word gets out, Jesus is back. Jesus is back. The guy that did that healing service, the, the guy that spoke so powerfully in our synagogue, he, he's back home. So what happens? Verse 2, many were gathered together so that there was... No more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. We, we have a hint at this word in Mark chapter 1. He's going around preaching the kingdom, right? Repent, the kingdom of God is near. He's preaching the kingdom to these folks in Capernaum. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, I, I try to put myself in this scene. A, a full room, Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden they hear click, 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 I, up on the roof. I, I, I thought being Christmas... Maybe I'm weird, but up on the rooftop, click, click, click. 
Four good friends and a paralytic. That's my present to you. That was free. Merry Christmas. But, but I put myself there. Jesus is teaching. These people are listening. And these roofs were not made out of shingles and particle board. So, so these guys aren't up there with a sawzall, Drew, cutting through the roof. These roofs had a lot of thatch and dirt and grass and maybe some tiles. So probably by hand, they're starting to tear it apart. And I think if this is Peter's house, you know, Peter's, really? <laughs> Come on, what's going on here? But how would Jesus react? How would we react if we're in here today, we're, we're going through the sermon, and all of a sudden the roof starts falling in on us? Come on, we're trying to have a service here. But, but Jesus' reaction is so beautiful. Verse 5 says, When Jesus saw their faith, and I believe there includes not only the faith of the four men that brought the paralytic, but his heart as well because of what happens in this story. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now I put myself in the paralytic's shoes. I'm on this mat. I've been, my friends have gone to all this trouble to lower me through the roof, and I can't, I can't physically move. And I wondered if his first reaction was it, Come again? You see me here like I can't move. And I appreciate what you're saying about my sins being forgiven, but that's not why I'm here. I wondered, just humanly, is that his first reaction? But i got to tell you, as I, as I read a couple other scholars' thoughts on this passage, they, they thought differently. You know that many times in that culture, folks would assign blame to an individual for specific sin in their lives if they were sick. John chapter 9 reminds us of that, right? A man born blind, and the first thing Jesus' disciples can think is who sinned, him or his parents? And, and Jesus says neither. This, this happened in his life for the glory of God. So living in that culture, Jesus knows hearts. Perhaps he knew that was exactly what this man struggled with above everything else as he approached this holy man of God, his sin. Now, there are two extremes with this connection between sin and suffering, okay? One is to assign blame. You must have done a specific sin for you to have that going on in your life. Sometimes that's the case. We see in Corinthians, people were dying in the church because they were taking communion in an unworthy manner with unholy hearts. Sometimes sin is to blame, but the story of the man born blind tells us it's not always... The other extreme is to pretend as though there's no connection between sin and suffering and death at all. The, the Bible makes it clear there's a, a clear connection because it wasn't until sin in the garden that suffering and death entered the world. So you've got to have this biblical balance. So Jesus cuts to the root of the problem. Your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, Luke tells us that these weren't just local scribes and Pharisees. Some of them had traveled all the way from the capital city of Jerusalem to start checking out this Jesus guy who's going around teaching, healing, casting out demons. And that was their job as the leaders in Israel, to, to scout out false teachers, true teachers. 
and help the people. So they're there listening. And what, what do they think about this in their hearts? This Jesus saying your sins are forgiven. They say, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And theologically, their point there is correct. Only God could forgive this man's sins. Because it's not as though Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, is talking about a specific instance he had with this man. Like, like hey, I know I, I made you that table and you stiffed me on the bill a couple years ago. I forgive, I forgive you for that. That's not what's going on here. He's not talking about one specific instance. He's talking about all the man's sins. And they rightly said, hey, only God can forgive sins. Watch verse 8. It says, immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Can you imagine how quickly they looked up when he said that? Because they didn't say these things. <laughs> it's like playing poker with somebody that can see through your cards. When you're messing with Jesus, he, he reads their thoughts and all of a sudden he says, why do you question these things in your hearts? So not only can he forgive sins because he's God, he knows what they're thinking. And then he goes on to turn it on them, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. What's the answer? Which is easier? They're, they're both equally easy to say. They're both equally easy for God to do. But one can be proven visibly and one cannot. I can say your sins are forgiven, but you never know if it happened or not. But if there's a paralytic here and I say rise and walk and he doesn't, my bluff's been called. So Jesus looks at him, verse 10, and says, That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth. To forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, I think there are two things going on here with Jesus doing this visible sign. One is he's using the visible that they can't argue with to prove the reality of what he did in the spiritual realm. That's one part of it, but I think it's deeper than that. Understanding that there is a connection in this world between sin and suffering, Jesus is showing them, I came to deal with the root problem that keeps humans from wholeness, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and the root is sin. I didn't come just to play around with the symptoms. I came to deal with the root of sin. Why did they wrestle with it so much? Because this is Jesus of Nazareth. The carpenter, right? What did the heart the herald angels sing? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. He is God veiled in flesh. That's why they wrestled. Even the disciples themselves had very different reactions to him while he was here for that period than they did in his risen glory. Just ask John. 
When Jesus was here in flesh, John's leaning on his bosom at the table in the upper room. You know what happens in Revelation when John has a vision of the risen Jesus? He falls on his face. Veiled in flesh, the, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. One thing I want us to take away from the story of Jesus and the paralytic, especially because he starts with the sin, right? Your sins are forgiven. Never forget that our deepest needs are not physical at all. Our deepest needs are spiritual and are only met in Jesus Christ. Taste is something I appreciate a lot more now that I have it back. Did you lose yours too, Steve? Yeah, is yours back? No? Sorry, man. I love tasting good food. It's, it's experiential. And normally we get Buffalo Wild Wings on my birthday, but I had COVID and I told Carolyn we're not going to get those expensive wings because I can't taste them. Let's just get Wendy's. We'll get the wings later when my taste is back. But I think about the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Our deepest needs, our deepest satisfaction only comes as we experience God by relationship with Jesus through faith. And here, here's the irony. You think about the gifts you'll get this Christmas, or maybe, maybe we've got bigger material needs on our, on our minds, and we think, man, if I just had that, if I just had this. When we get this right, when we come to Jesus to have our deepest needs met, Here's the irony. It's then that we're able to truly and freely enjoy the physical gifts that he blesses us with. You know why? Because then we're not looking to them to fulfill needs that only he can fulfill. We find our deepest needs met in him and then we can enjoy those as gifts from him and say, thank you. Thank you for these gifts. Our deepest needs are, are spiritual. This was brought home at our small group this week. We we had a gift exchange, double or nothing, where we steal gifts from each other. We shared pasta. And then at the end, I just asked the group, I said, hey, is there anything you guys want to share with the group that's on your heart about Christmas this year? Or anything you want to encourage the group with? And, and there was a, a new family in there. The husband and father in the family spoke up. And, and he said, you know what? What I want to share with the group is that I've had a Bible from my mom for 20 years. She gave it to me 20 years ago, and it's been untouched for 20 years. But this year, through the encouragement of my wife and being part of the church, that Bible is no longer untouched. And my life is changed. And I thought, man, that is, that is awesome. Praise the Lord for what he's doing. Because what's going to happen is he... Puts those spiritual needs above all else. It's going to change his life. It's going to change his family. It's going to change his workplace. It's going to change the world as he embraces Jesus above all. Now I want to talk about the, the tax collector. Verse 13. Jesus went out beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. Other Gospels say Matthew. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now you remember I said both these men were paralyzed in one way or another. The first one's 
physically and spiritually. The second one, spiritually, and I would add socially. To understand what I'm talking about, you've got to understand the, the Jewish mindset about tax collectors. Many tax collectors worked for Rome. All right, you're a Jew under Roman oppression, and one of your fellow Jews goes to collect taxes for Rome. How do you feel about him? That's a traitor, right? Now, Matthew most likely works for Herod because he's up in Galilee, but tax collectors were also known for not just taking what they needed to take, but taking a lot extra. In fact, the way it worked was they, did, they didn't get a paycheck every couple weeks. They, they kind of leased an area, and the person they leased it from says, as long as you pay your lease, you take whatever else you can get. And many times they did. In fact, you might hear jokes around Galilee like, you know how cold it was this morning? It was so cold, I saw Matthew with his, with his hands in his own pockets. These guys were, were so despised, the average Jew, especially the religious leaders, would never sit down at a meal with them. In fact, if, if you're the, the father of a daughter who gets married and her, her husband goes on to become a tax collector, you're saying, I, I ain't going to their bar mitzvah for their boy. I ain't sitting across a table from my son-in-law, the tax collector. I can't believe he went and jumped into that field. You couldn't even be a witness in court if you're a tax collector. Why? Because you're a tax collector. Surely, all you're going to spew out is lies. So the religious leaders, tax collectors and sinners, was kind of a catch-all phrase for the scum of the earth. Here's Levi at his tax booth. Jesus walks by. says, follow me. I wonder, did Levi pause for a second? Come again? You, talk, you, you talking to me? It doesn't say. All it says is he rose and followed him. Now one thing I think about with these two different names of this tax collector is the, the meanings of the names. Levi, as you know, there's one in the Old Testament as well. You know what Levi means? It means attached. Attached. And, and I think about Levi... He was attached to his career. That was his livelihood, right? You think about it. You're at your job and somebody comes and says, follow me. What do you do? He, this was his life. Probably all of his friends were tax collectors because of the path he had chosen. He was attached to that life, but he rose and followed him. Luke tells us he left everything. Left it all behind. You know what Matthew means? And some, some speculate maybe he already had that as a second name, but maybe, we don't know, maybe this was a name given to him by Jesus. Just like Jesus gave Simon the name Peter, perhaps Jesus gave him this name, Matthew. You know what Matthew means? Gift of God. Whether Jesus gave it to him or not, I think about this moment, how special Matthew felt. Gift of God. Most of the people in Galilee, that's the last thing that would cross their mind when they looked at Matthew. Maybe more likely a piece of trash or something like that. Gift of God. Jesus called him. How special. 
he must have felt. There surely weren't any other rabbis going around Galilee hoping Matthew would be part of their crew. <laughs> right? This, this must have been shocking to Matthew and those around him. But it makes me think about the fact that we're all separated from God by our sin. We all need just as much grace as Matthew did that day. I think about the biblical idea of being redeemed. You've heard that term a lot. Redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You know what being redeemed means? It means to be bought back. And a common motif for that being bought back was to be bought back out of slavery. To be bought out of slavery. That's what the blood of Jesus does for those who turn to Him in faith and repentance. It buys us out of slavery to sin. One of the most special pictures of this in the Bible comes in the Old Testament in the book of Hosea. God came to Hosea and told him to marry a woman named Gomer. Now, every time I think about this story, I think about Johnny Cash had a song about a boy named Sue, right? Well, here's a girl named Gomer. But, <laughs> but her name is not the biggest problem in her life. You know the biggest problem was? She's, she's a prostitute. She's a, a whore. Okay, and God comes to Hosea in chapter 1, verse 2. says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, do you ever have those moments with God where you think you hear something you're like, come again? I wonder if it was that what Christ... God, you telling me to go marry a prostitute? Yes, he was. Why? Is a picture, the last line, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. He was going to use Hosea as a living picture of his faithfulness to his covenant to the nation of Israel despite their sin, their whoredom against Him. And the picture of redemption comes in in chapter 3 because sometime between chapter 1 and chapter 3, evidently she left Hosea and was sleeping around with another man or men. And then God comes to him in chapter 3, verse 1, says, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Those were offerings to idols. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. What's going on here? Evidently, after she left and entered this immoral lifestyle again, she ended up in the slave market. She was for auction. And many believe she may have been there nude in her shame on the auction block. Men auctioning money for her. I'll pay five shekels of silver. Hosea says, I'll pay seven. I'll pay nine. Hosea says, I'll pay eleven. Ten. Twelve. Hosea says, I'll pay fifteen and a homer and a lethic of barley. And he bought her back. Out of the slave market. In verse 3, he says to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore 
or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. And that was a picture of God's redeeming love for the sinful nation of Israel, his faithful covenant-keeping love. Matthew tasted it that day. And what happened? <laughs> he, he can't wait to tell his friends. Verse 15 says, As he reclined at table in his house, he's at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. <laughs> hey guys, you won't believe this. This is rabbi called me to follow him. I want you to come meet him. So he grabs all his friends, tax collectors and sinners, and they feast with Jesus. And what happens again? Conflict with the religious leaders. The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? <laughs> Where's that come from? Well, the Pharisees were a group of people that it started out with good intentions in a lot of ways. It started out under the Greek Empire. Many Jews were compromising with the Hellenization of the Empire, doing immoral things that went against Judaism, went against God. And the Hasidim began to separate themselves from those sins. They, they didn't want to partake in that. But gradually, over time, it turned into a hatred, a pride. For others, and, and they came to call most people in the land the Amaris, the people of the land. When I read what they meant by that, I paraphrase it as the, the scum of the earth. These were, these were people who were sinners, not often as we think like, hey, they must be doing those top ten sins we think of, which is kind of a silly idea anyway, because all sin separates us from God. But a sinner could be something as simple as someone who did not know, memorize, and keep all of their oral laws. And their goal was to stay separated from those kind of people because they didn't want to be contaminated by them. That's why they can't understand a rabbi that would sit down with Matthew and his friends. Why did Jesus do it? I like that they, they asked Jesus' disciples this question, but Jesus goes ahead and he says, I'm going to answer this myself. He looks at the scribes and Pharisees and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Luke adds, Sinners to repentance. The difference was where they ran away because they feared contamination, he ran towards those same people because he came to bring salvation. Now, first part, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, think about what's going on with COVID. Most of us, when we find out we have COVID or somebody else has COVID, what do we do? We get away, right? Because we don't want to get it. Frontline workers, firefighters, paramedics, nurses, doctors, they do just the opposite. They run towards the ones the rest of us run away from. Why? Because they're here to bring healing. Jesus says, that's why I came. These folks need healing. That is why 
I am at this table. Now I think about the contrast between Jesus and many of these Pharisees. And and I want to issue a, a closing challenge for those of us who are believers about how quickly good intentions can turn in our lives. That's what happened with many of these Pharisees. Probably not all. There are probably God-fearing, man-loving Pharisees, but many of the ones Jesus ran into, it had turned like an avocado. If you love avocados and guacamole, you know what I'm talking about, how quickly it can happen. You, you get that perfect avocado at the store and it's just right, but you leave it one day and next day it's brown, right? Same thing can happen in the spiritual life. It can turn quickly. Their zeal, for many of them, quickly turned to pride in their lives. They elevated. They thought they were so much better than everybody else out there. Beware. Let's be like Jesus, who though He was God in flesh, He came not to be served, but to serve. The essence of humility. Righteousness quickly became surface level. It became a show for many of these guys. That's why later Jesus would speak of them and say, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Don't, don't let your righteousness become surface level. And holiness, this desire to be separate from sin, which is a good thing in the life of the believer, quickly became hatred for those sinners. Many of them had no desire to help. That's why Jesus said, you, you put burdens on them and you don't lift a finger to help them. Beware. Let's be like Jesus. Let's, let's, if we've come to Jesus like Matthew, let's take a minute and thank Him for the grace that He called us from our tax booth to follow Him. Because when we rest in that, that's when we're inclined to share it with others. Right? We share what we're resting in. If we're bitter, we share that. If we don't realize we're forgiven or if we haven't come to Jesus for forgiveness of our guilt, it's hard to pass on forgiveness because we haven't experienced it yet. We're, we're like the, the, the man who got bit by a rabid dog. Gary Enrig shared this true story. Man got bit by a rabid dog and he came in for treatment too late and the doctor said, you don't have a chance. Your life is going to end. I'd encourage you to start writing your will. One day the man got a list of paper a paper and started writing a list on there and the doctor said I'm glad to see you're putting your things in order writing your will and he said oh I'm not writing my will I'm writing a list of people I'm thinking of biting he <laughs> was a man full of bitterness he was passing out what, what he had inside you can't pass out forgiveness unless you've come to find it in Jesus Christ have you found forgiveness in Jesus Christ that's why He came. Have you turned to Him in faith and repentance? And if you have, are you resting in it, believer? you resting in that grace that calls lost sinners to salvation. If you are, be like Matthew. Bring your friends to Him. Bring Him to your friends. Father, 
I thank you for these two stories. Because we think a lot this time of year of a, a manger. We think a lot about a baby. But we know that baby came with a mission. To seek and save what was lost. To give his life as a ransom for many. And, and I thank you for these examples as he grew and went out and ministered. And, and showed who you are and your grace and truth. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remember as we head into Christmas season, a season of a lot of gift giving, which is, which is awesome if it's kept in perspective, that our deepest needs are not met by anything under that tree. They're met by Jesus. Help us to press into you through him, to taste and see that the Lord is good and enjoy those other gifts as blessings from your hand. Uh, Lord, help us to appreciate your grace anew. To really put ourselves in Matthew's shoes. Realize if we're believers, that was us. That was us. Thank you for stopping by and calling us. Give us opportunity this Christmas with our family and friends that we spend time with. Uh, to bring them to you, just as Matthew did. Help us to spread your grace your truth, and your forgiveness. I pray even as we prepare to collect our offering this morning that you'd help us as a church to use that to spread the good news of Emmanuel, God with us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.